1: I said to Hank Williams, how lonely does it get? Hank Williams hasn't answered yet, but I hear him coughing all that long. Oh, a hundred floors above me in the Tower of Song. We're back. This is Radical Australian Community Radio 3CR streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. So if nature calls, Asia knocks on your door, somebody puts a bomb under the front seat, don't worry. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast for the next six to eight weeks by going to 3cr.org.au. Andy. How Hello, are you? I'm well, how are you? We're back, like a we bad are. smell, we're back I know But we've got a really, really nice human being as a guest it today does, yeah, seems yeah. To be the case Yeah, yeah, you're the producer I walked in, I was rude to her and walked away And you made up for my rudeness, didn't you? Oh, I hope so, yes. thank you <laughs> It's Joseph Toscano is my name Now, let's make, look, I'm crappy with names Mirren Reddenbach.
0: That's great. Or back. Well, I what, think hey, what more do people know you as? We, they know me as Marin Reddenback.
1: Merrin Reddenbach. That's right. Good. And what would you like yourself to be known as?
0: Um, ah, you know, that's what I'm. I'm. I'm pretty happy with that, though. Uh, I guess around the traps at Fo, I'm probably known as Mez. Mez. And at at my work work, I'd be Dr. Merin. Dr Um, Merrin, right Yeah, so I'm happy to to go with Merrin today if that (laughs) works for you
1: I don't care, it's Mm -hmm. your show, it's your hour, it's Mm -hmm. all about you, it's not about us today Think think of yourself as being in a kayak, I know you don't like canoes, you tell me, but a kayak (laughs) And you're sitting there as the guest, Uh I'm doing the paddling, we're in a nice little tributary And occasionally Mm -hmm. if you get a bit boring, I'll just move the paddle And ask a questions. Very simple. Now we only ask two questions on this program. The first question takes about three seconds to answer, and the rest takes (laughs) fifty-seven minutes. And the first question is just to orientate listeners. Mm. What year were you born in?
0: I was born in nineteen seventy-six. Seventy-six. Yep. So you're Uh, a youngster. uh, Yeah, absolutely.
1: You're a youngster. Well, you have to be compared to me. You're a youngster compared to Andy. You're an old woman. Mm -hmm. But that's different. Not quite. What year were you born, Andy? 85. She's old. All right.
0: I, I think it's a good place to be, kind of in the middle of the stream in this, in this kayak yeah. that we have floating right. down the Yarra yeah. in the middle of the stream. Well, Andy's
1: actually uh, – he looks after the motor in case we run into trouble. Jumpy yeah. <laughs> Waters. He jumps in and he says, Joe, behave yourself. And the second question – do you want to take a sip of water, do you? No? no. I was just moving it so that just it was strategically positioned for emergencies. Well, if you go dry, we'll, we'll, we'll ask you a question.
0: Uh-huh.
1: What's the first thing you remember?
0: Oh, good question. Um, the first thing that I remember is being in an aeroplane with my family, flying from Melbourne to Hobart on a on a uh, family holiday with a, with another family and I remember the plane, after the plane took off, I remember looking down on the city of Melbourne which was pretty exciting because I actually grew up in, um, I was born in Mildura mm-hmm. and I came from you know, a small country town so this experience of going up in a plane and looking down on these tiny houses was very exciting.
1: So, how did you get from? Majura? Do you remember how you got from Aljura to Melbourne?
0: Uh, I have no idea. I mean, we would have driven. Mm. You know, it was we, mm. we. were one of those families in the seventies and eighties that had these long family holidays in. Mm. Uh, in yeah, the my children of the car. hate me
1: for them, but you know. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're not doing that to your children these days, are you? Oh
0: uh, well, I don't have any children. Well, that's so good. You don't can't you, you can't torture can't. them. That's no. excellent.
1: No, it is a torture. You're right. It's. I mean, I remember we we drove once from Melbourne to Darwin. With wow. two kids under ten in the back in an old car with no air conditioning mm-hmm. in summer, oh, if, uh, I'll go to hell. Uh
0: huh. Well, <laughs> I, you know. But but a, so you
1: got into this beautiful plane and you saw Melbourne. How old were you?
0: I would have been three at the, that three. time. Mm. It's,
1: it's a distinct memory.
0: It's a distinct memory, and I actually have a couple of other distinct memories yes. from that holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, one was. Having pins and needles in my feet, mm-hmm. um, and I thought that I had ants crawling inside my shoes, and I insisted that my mother take my shoes off mm-hmm. and there were in fact no ants, mm-hmm. which was quite mysterious to me and The other time was um, when we were doing a, a walk through um, kind of wilderness walk in Tasmania. And um, this one's a bit harder to know if it is my memory or it's Mm -hmm. just what I've heard. But my my dad was carrying me on his shoulders, as he did. Mm -hmm. And um, he was telling me about snakes and how snakes were really dangerous and how if you saw a snake, you had to be really careful because the snake would bite you. And apparently I said to him, so, Dad, why is that snake not biting us? (laughs) 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 Uh, These
1: are cruel parents. They took you on a walk. Uh-huh. Through the wilderness, uh-huh. when you were three, mm. I hope they were carrying you. He was carrying you on his shoulders, and your mum or your mum was kind of no.
0: Uh, well, that's, that's all I remember. All I remember is the bit about being on my dad's shoulders. And, and what did
1: the snake look like? No, I do no, not sure. No,
0: no,
1: so you said family. That means brothers and sisters.
0: I've got a younger sister mm. and a younger brother.
1: So they were there on the holiday.
0: No, I was the only one at that point.
1: At that point, mm-hmm. right. And um, are your parents still alive?
0: Yes. Yeah, they are. My my mother is at the moment travelling through um, South America. She posted a Facebook photo this morning of the first volcano that she's ever climbed. Mm-hmm. Um, complete with some description of climbing with an ice pick and... Uh, ice coupons. pick. <laughs> Why yeah. an ice pick? <laughs> well, she, she, was, she actually genuinely went ice climbing for the first time in her life at 66. Hmm. Um, as, which, you as you would. As you would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think it's actually revenge from her on, a, for, on me and the, the, my other siblings for all of the... the the times that we've put her through mm. or the worry that um, we've put her through. So she's just posting all these pictures of her mm. adventures in South America, you know, mm. the high altitude, the, right. the ice climbing, etc. cetera. Mm. Yeah. I'm mm. 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 um, on the one, like on the one writing like to her it. every every few days on Facebook saying, yeah. how's it going, mum? You haven't posted anything in two days. I'm just checking that everything's okay. <laughs>
1: Well, it's called revenge it's revenge it's the parents' revenge and where did her family come from
0: hmm um so she was she was born around Swan Hill. her parents grew up in um her parents grew up in the kind of um out desert areas near there sorry, I'm just having a mental blank Cowinji. um oh,
1: well, what, near the little desert that type of area yeah, yeah. that's
0: right yeah and they're on um On those kind of blocks out there that Mm. were pretty. They were boat people, weren't they? They were boat people. They, I think her her grandparents came over from um, England. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, Mm -hmm. and um, settled in the Mallee. It was yeah, pretty pretty dry country. Her her uncle lived there until he died a few years ago. Um, Yeah, um, wheat and cattle area. And dad. And Dad grew up in Glenroy.
1: Ah, Glenroy. That's okay. Uh. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. So is he still
1: around? You said he was around. Is he, he, he is. He yeah. is. Actually,
0: he um he lives in China now. He's right. up on the up in the north, and place called Jelian. He um retired from secondary school teaching in Australia and went went on a on a um, trip around the world and settled there with some some friends of his from uni. Were teaching at a um, university, Maritime University, in Delian in China. Um, he, he dropped by there and uh, was invited to stay and do some teaching and then he's been there ever since, which has been about 10 years. He's tried to retire uh, five or six times um, and he, he just can't retire. He's not the kind of person who can uh, be not doing something. So he absolutely loves teaching the students. And um,
1: Why would you retire if you've got a brain and you've got a job? Why well, would you retire? It,
0: exactly. What are you
1: going to do? Become an internet warrior and achieve mm. nothing? All right. <laughs> So where did you go to primary school?
0: I went to Redcliffs Primary School, which was... Redcliffe's?
1: F- yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. A town of
0: 2,500 people up in the northwest of Victoria.
1: So that's not far from Mildura, is it? Uh,
0: 15 kilometres south. 15 kilometres yeah.
1: south. And what was that like?
0: Um, oh, you know, it was, it was great and it was difficult. And
1: Why was it difficult?
0: Um, it, was, it was difficult because I think I was a bit of a different kid... Um, I... Well,
1: you'd seen the snake in Hobart. That would have
0: had... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, it was a small Mallee town. Um, I had parents who'd been to university. They were kind of the first generations in their family to, you know, to go to university, Mm. um, Mm. on Commonwealth scholarships. And then they were, my dad had, was, was a teacher and was placed in this, in a small you realise that, that, no... that was the
1: beginning of the end. These Commonwealth scholarships. I mean, I had one of them.
0: Mm-hmm. I
1: mean, I assume they went to the university, when I went to in the late sixties, early seventies. Mm, you know, yeah, they were they terrible did. things because they actually help working class kids to actually um, do something. Mm. Horrible things. Commonwealth scholarships is the best thing. It would have been good if your parents didn't get one, you
0: know? <laughs> then
1: you could have been still been at, at Redcliffs and Mildura.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, we would have actually. I would have probably grown up in in Glenroy, I guess, or, yeah, you know, right. somewhere in the city, because yeah. Dad was sent, because of his Commonwealth scholarship, he was sent yeah. out to, um, to Redcliffe to he teach there. Yeah, it was a penance. So, yeah. Penance. They have a great story of um of the first day they arrived in Redcliffe and there was actually literally a tumbleweed rolling down the street. Mm-hmm. Um, So they weren't quite sure where they'd, where they'd come to. But um, they were there for, ended up being there for 25 years and that was the...
1: 25 years? Mm-hmm. So were they actually ever accepted as members of the community?
0: I think they're accepted as members of the community but not as locals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even my sister and brother and I, although we were born in the town, we were never locals because we didn't have, you know, grandparents and cousins and mm-hmm. and other relatives in the area. So yeah, but we had a really we had a really great community and I think that um you know, we're very lucky with the people that, that we knew through the school and, you know, I mean, it's a small community, 2,500 people People kind of know each other. So
1: did your parents teach at the primary school you went
0: to? No, no. My father, my my mum worked in medical records, so she worked at Muldura Base Hospital Mm -hmm. when she went back to work. And my dad taught at the local high school. Right. Mm.
1: So you said it was a bit difficult. What do you mean difficult, primary? What was difficult?
0: Oh, look, I I mean, I was, how was I different? I was different because... um, I was a bit of a nerdy kid who liked reading and I liked... We watched the ABC and I I was interested in science and maths and... um, Sad, it really is (laughs) sad. There's tragedy unfolding here.
1: I mean, you you weren't out in the sporting field playing volleyball... I was,
0: I was not one of those kids when I was at high school. I start, actually started running and swimming, no. and I was good yeah. at that yeah, no, kind of no, stuff. We haven't got you know, we we're 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 primary. School. We've got plenty
1: okay. of time. Let's go back to primary school. Uh-huh. Are there any teachers there that had any, any impact on you or effect? Do you think
0: um, there were there were people who were you know really enjoyed being students of um, in terms of people who were inspiring. Um, Ooh, I actually, I really, I really can't remember my teachers very distinctly. No, they distinctly. weren't no, mm. they were
1: inspiring. So you finished primary school. What, you are about yep. 12, 13, I see? Yeah, 12. So mm. where did you go to high school?
0: I went to high school at Redcliffs High, which was where my, my dad, dad taught. Mm. What mm-hmm. was that like? History. Um, you know, it was, oh, I mean, it was, it was, it was great. I think I was really lucky. I was in a, Great class with other. There are actually about five teachers' kids all in the same class mm. at school. It's a and little they, bit like
1: prison, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> you know, when uh, if if you if you've been in the law, you like to be isolated from the rest of the community. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I was just being facetious. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, uh, they well, did something that they the, yeah. that they, that they weren't you know yeah. supposed to do, which is that they they streamed the classes, mm. and that mm. meant that the teachers' kids all ended up together In one in the same class. class? What? You yeah. only five kids in the class? No, there were you know twenty five or twenty five the five. Yeah.
1: Well, in many ways, it makes sense because it means that it'd be uh, unusual for you to be taught by a parent if they were all in one class. You know, mm. yeah, maybe, maybe yep. so. Maybe that's the thinking behind it. Yeah. Hmm. And uh, did you excel at anything in high school?
0: Um, I was a pretty good student. We know that,
1: Mirren. We know that.
0: Um, but was there anything uh, in particular
1: anything, yeah. that you really enjoyed doing?
0: I loved writing. I loved writing, writing stories. Mm-hmm. That was my my passion. Yeah.
1: You were going to be an author. Yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to be a, a, um, a, an author of teenage fiction and children's books.
1: Teenage fiction. That mm-hmm. was that was your plan. Yeah. Ah, yeah. But how, how about all the other things like maths A, maths B, physics, chemistry?
0: Yeah, I loved it all. I loved it. I really just enjoyed learning how the world worked and I think I, I blame mm. the ABC for that in in part. My parents weren't um, science-oriented but we watched a lot of quantum, it was back mm. then, yep. and, you know, towards 2000. Mm. Uh, mm. And that really made me just fascinated with how the natural world worked and um, very you know I'm very passionate about protecting mm. it as well.
1: Mm. I assume your parents were Argonauts?
0: I don't actually. I should know what an Argonaut is. ABC.
1: I? That's the way they used to brainwash us kids of their age. You'd, ah. you'd, you, as a little kid, you'd, you'd write to the ABC and you'd become ah. an Argonaut and you'd be ah. sent a little membership card uh-huh. and you would keep listening to the ABC and that's how they were corrupted and then they corrupted you.
0: Uh-huh. You know, I don't th- I think that that came later from my parents because my mum grew up in a fundamentalist Christian sect mm-hmm. and she didn't get to watch television or listen to the radio or music mm-hmm. or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure about my dad's family. I suspect they might not have had television. They didn't have Right. No, this is radio. Yeah. Radio.
1: This was before television. You'd be oh, an Argonaut, you'd be listening okay. to radio and you'd be, and you'd have and then they'd call your number out, you know. They'd say Argonaut number five thousand four hundred. It was a big thing. It was a big thing. But getting back to high school, mm. um, are there any teachers there that hadn't made an impact on you? Yeah, absolutely. Tell us
0: um, a wonderful woman called Anne Lever, who um, who is, I think is still in Muldura, She gave me; she was my English teacher, and she gave me some really interesting books to read. And um, I still think about them and think about her to that to this day. Um, mm. There was one particular book she gave me called "Dibs in Search of Self," which was about a a child who um, who was struggling with mental health issues and mutism. And it was a you know it was a, an account written by his therapist. And it, so it was a book about child child psychiatry or child psychology, essentially. Mm. And I I love that book. And interestingly, that you know that's the area that I work in now with my professional work. So. Right? Wonder mm.
1: if she part of the labour family from Laver's Hills, a very important family, Victorian family that's had quite an impact uh, in radical circles. I wonder if she was part of that family.
0: Mm, I I don't know, but I'd be really interested to know and I might have to look into that. Mm, I think you should. Mm.
1: All right, so you had HSC in those days, did you? It was VCE. VCE, Mm -hmm. so what happens at the end of Year 12?
0: Um, So at the end of Year 12, I mean... My to be honest, most of my life I had spent wanting to go to university. Wanting. Yeah, wanting really. That was my life goal was to go to university. Mm-hmm. Um, Anything
1: in particular you were thinking about that uh, apart from why would an orphan want to go to university? <laughs>
0: um, I think you know, I'd heard my parents because my parents were quite young when I was born, um, young comparatively now, mm-hmm. they were sort of in their early 20, 23, 24. And you know, I'd heard so many stories about their exciting times at university um, in Melbourne, um, which was incredibly exciting, an incredibly oh, you saw exciting from the place. Plane when you were three. Yeah, you know. that's
1: right. <laughs> Huge impact on <laughs>
0: <aren't> you. <laughs> um, you know, when I was at high school, we, we'd come on school trips to Melbourne for, um, you know, cultural events, but also for running. I was a runner and would always a come runner. Right. A runner, that's right. You did yeah. mention that, what, a sprinter a uh, distance no, runner? No, a distance runner, yeah, Half, middle distance and, middle and, distance, and three or four cross countries. Cross-countries? Yeah. yeah, three yeah. three kilometre runs. Yeah. And so we'd come up um, in the bus um, from Red Cliffs listening to music all the way to um, Melbourne, um, yeah. you know, stay overnight, which was very exciting. What we'd usually do is arrive, then then the kids would get let out. We'd go to Myers and go up and down the escalators, mm-hmm. um, trying to, you know, ideally run up and down the wrong way if possible. Um, and then go and check out the Victoria Market, and then go out to dinner and you know, somewhere in Melbourne, and that was that was pretty much as exciting as as things got. Oh, that got. is exciting! It's that exciting. is exciting.
1: <laughs> so, end uh-huh. of year twelve, what did you do? Where did you go?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I kept, pretty much came straight to university, the University of Melbourne, and studied medicine.
1: Right. Well, that's a Divergence of uh, ambition from author to medicine. What made you study medicine?
0: Um, When I was a when I was in primary school, I remember wanting to, um, you know, basically my 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 aim in life was to cure cancer, which I've obviously you know managed Mm -hmm. to achieve.
1: No, oh, obviously really? you have. Otherwise, you <laughs> would, we wouldn't, wouldn't have you on have... Radical Australia. <laughs> if you had not cured
0: it. Um, and I wanted to do something in science. I went to this um, national science summer school when I was in the last couple of years of high school, and thought that uh, before that, I thought I'd do medicine, and then I thought maybe I'd study science, um, basically because I wanted to understand more about how the world world worked, and mm. um, had mm. read some you know inspiring articles in science magazines about. Um, Uh, Particularly about you know diseases that affected. um, I I remember particularly an article that was about anorexia and the the neurochemistry behind anorexia, and I really I was really interested in biochemistry, and I thought that I'd like to be a. (laughs) You don't
1: sound like a normal teenager. (laughs) Inspiring paper about anorexia. Mm. Inspiring. What have you been? Eighteen or nineteen? Or oh no, younger? I think I would
0: have been about fourteen or fifteen. Fourteen. You yeah. inspired
1: by that? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yes. That ABC's got a lot to answer. <laughs> for. They,
0: they sort sure right.
1: of. So. What year did you start the University of Melbourne? Um, well,
0: good question. Nineteen ninety-four, I think. Ninety-four. Yeah. Ninety-four, but either ninety-three or ninety-four. Ninety-three.
1: Well, you were born in seventy-six. Seventy-six. So something did something happen between the end of uni- end of high school and university? No,
0: seventy-six, ninety-three. That's what. That's about right. Yeah. You didn't
1: take a gap. Well, nobody took a gap year in those days, did they?
0: No, no.
1: Straight to work.
0: Yeah, that's right. Mm. Yeah. certainly country kids didn't take a gap year
1: so it was a six-year course then or five year um it was six years six years yeah all right we'll skip year one that's useless did you start anatomy in year two or year one
0: year one Mm -hmm.
1: what did you think when you actually approached that table with that you know formalized Hmm. body with another five or six students and you were told this is your body for the next 12 months
0: um, I, I was, I was exhausted. I'd actually been to the Port Fairy Folk Festival the weekend before right. and I didn't feel very well. And for some reason, my anatomy tutor decided that I would, I should be the person who made the first incision mm-hmm. and handed me a scalpel, which I tentatively, um, placed in the cadaver and then had to go and sit down
1: and vomit. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well,
1: it is. It is confronting, isn't it? You're mm. water eighteen, nineteen, and here you are. You've got. Yeah. Is this the first dead body you've come across?
0: It, it was. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Here you are. This is a human being, and uh, all wizened and glossy, and you know, and slimy. And, mm. You know, and hasn't got a natural colour. And there you are. You're giving a scalpel, and you, you're bloodied.
0: I think it's. I think it's really difficult to know what to make of that mm. as a young person. I mean, particularly given that our we have so little exposure to death in our culture, and we don't talk about it very much. Mm. Um, and to, to kind of understand, you know, how that person came to be there, mm. and then how we were, how we how we could interact in a way that was respectful, while also, you know, performing these technical. Um,
1: mm. Mm. Uh, and did you have the cadaver bin where you put the pieces in after you dissected the body? Yeah, yeah, mm. we did. Mm. Yeah. And was that a bonding experience for you with the other... How many, how many in your group?
0: Um, six, I think. Six. I Do you have any
1: contact with any of them now? Or
0: um, I, I, Honestly, I can't remember which, which people were in my group because we'd met... We'd you know, I'd obviously got to know yeah. the other people in the year beforehand and mm. I can't remember. I don't think my friends, my particular friends, were in that group. Right, right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, it was, so what did you like about... Medical school, you can say nothing
0: if you want to. Yeah, look, it was pretty alien to me. Mm. I'd, you know, grown up, I didn't know anyone who was a, a doctor when mm-hmm. I was a child. You know, we had a family doctor who was an interesting man in himself, but you'd walk in and kind of get a script and walk out again. So I really—what? he wouldn't didn't even have... let you sit down. <laughs> I like the man. <laughs> No, he was quite amazing. He apparently he moved to Redcliffe's after having been involved um, doing terminations of pregnancy in mm. Melbourne and kind of getting right. pushed out of the medical establishment yep. here mm. um, back at a time when it wasn't legal. So he was a pretty mm. impressive man. Mm. Um, but you know, didn't he was he was a gruff old man that you'd you'd walk in and he'd make a.
1: No, I like the bloke. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> and he would walk out. Yeah.
0: So yeah, look, I didn't really know. I didn't know doctors. I didn't, you know, unlike most of my um, contemporaries. Um, I hadn't gone to a private school. I wasn't living with my family. I was living in college um, and, you know, I didn't have any family who were involved with the university. So that kind of made me different from um, a lot of the people there anyway. I mean, I was really interested in the university experience and getting involved in student politics and... Um
1: Excuse me, did you just use the P word? <laughs> it's
0: taken us a while to get there. No, I, I,
1: that's the whole point. Look. <gasps> You don't have to look at the clock. That's my job, all right? We will get you where you want to go. People come in here with preconceived notions about what they're going to say. It doesn't work that way, all right? You just answer the questions, Mm -hmm. okay? So what year did you graduate?
0: I graduated in 2000. 2000,
1: 2000, so you didn't... Repeat a year or I, take I, a year off? Or?
0: Look, I took a year off to do something called a Bachelor of Medical Science, yes. which is kind of like an honours year for mm. medicine, mm. Um, mm. and then otherwise I went straight what through.
1: Did you What did you um, concentrate on for that Bachelor of Medical Science?
0: I worked with um, a wonderful uh, woman at the World Children's Hospital, Professor Susan Sawyer. She wasn't a professor at that stage, but um, yeah, she is... Um, a professor of adolescent medicine and respiratory medicine. Mm -hmm. And I did a project which was with parents of... Smoking parents of children admitted to the hospital with um, respiratory conditions. And basically it was a a pilot project of a kind of... um, of a 10-minute smoking cessation intervention.
1: So you learned very early in your life that illness and sickness is really not an individual issue.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I knew that from... You know, long before that, probably from watching the ABC. Right. That, um, you know that that um, that really health and and disease are, uh, you know, issues around uh, social issues and mm. often issues around poverty and disadvantage as well.
1: So, what mm. boring things you do regarding politics at university?
0: Um, I was um, I, I was on student council at one point. Mm. Um, I was on an education committee for the for the um, left, left Focus. It was called at Melbourne Uni at that time. Um, and I, I was on student council as a medical student representative. Yeah. Mm. But Nothing you know, that's, that's a
1: busy life because doing a medical course is pretty full on. Mm. A lot of exams, a lot of things you've got to get across, a lot of hours. You mm-hmm. just don't sit in the library mm. or play on the net. How did you feel when you first... As a student, you went into hospital and you started to see patients.
0: Um, <laughs> uncomfortable. Um, you know, it was difficult. I mean, I think I think we had difficulty seeing our role, um, you know, in, with people who were at a really um, difficult time in their lives, um, to actually ask for their time felt quite intrusive. Mm-hmm. And I think it was really only when I... Reconceptualize it as being able to give something to the patients by listening to their stories that I mm. felt a bit more comfortable.
1: Yeah, it is a quite brutalizing experience. I remember I think it was four for 50 when I started, um, did a gynecology, to, you know, as a student. And there's this poor young girl, must have been about 20, 25, you know, lying in stirrups. And there were four or five medical students, and we were supposed to find this tumor, you know. It is quite. Quite confronting, quite alienating for everybody, but mm. you've got to learn. Mm.
0: Mm. Yeah. Patients, so, patients are wonderful about that. You know, they you know, are. They're they, great. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very generous. Yeah. And,
1: these days, you've got to get permission. <laughs> Those days, it just, you know, who knows? Mm. But so you finish medical school, you've got this little piece of paper from the University of Melbourne, which is important. So, what do you do next?
0: I did my internship at Ballarat Base Hospital. Right. Uh, that was my m- after being born in Swan Hill. My mother and her family moved to uh, Meredith, which mm-hmm. is uh, which people know of now because of the Meredith Music Festival. Um, uh, but her family are in Ballarat, and um, I went to Ballarat Hospital partly because my family was there, but also because um, <laughs> basically because of my my family's my dad's family side um, are all kind of committed unionists, and um, I just couldn't quite stomach that. The idea that I heard about the um, hospitals in the city um, didn't pay overtime and expected their interns to work, you know, long extra hours without paid overtime. And it wasn't so much of the money. It was the principle that um, that people were not being paid for the work that they did. And God, you're evil. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> which I, I've come to accept now. Um, <laughs> you come to accept in, in medicine quite quickly. But, um, oh,
1: you yeah, know, 108-hour weeks are not unusual. Well, they weren't mm, unusual. They weren't. I, assume, I assume it's different now. Mm. So... What was Ballarat Base Hospital? You just did the normal rotations for an intern. Mm-hmm. Anything? Anything stick in your mind?
0: Um, I uh, emergency was was I think probably the most interesting. And surgery. I mean, being standing in surgery is absolutely amazing. It wasn't that I wanted to be a surgeon or that. Uh, it, it's just that it's an incredible thing to witness surgery. It's incredible to what to witness to the living human body, um, opened up. To be able to see what it looks like inside, it's just incredible. Mm. And then to see these people doing this incredible work.
1: Yeah, and the difference between mm. that and the cadaver is they bleed.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Blood
1: is the enemy of the surgeon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They bleed,
0: but they're you know they're fascinating. They so many different colours and. Mm. Uh,
1: so why didn't you pursue yeah. a surgical career if you were so fascinated?
0: Um, because I had ideas about what I wanted to do and I guess that was has always been to and what were these ideas um I've always wanted to work in child and adolescent mental health essentially um when I was in when I was in high school I met kids I went on a on a tall ship actually that used to sail around Port Phillip Bay called the Almadopal, and I met a bunch of kids who were um who came on that program through either the Smith family or the Young Offenders program um, so I met homeless kids, I met kids who had been in prison or were diverted from prison and yeah, I guess that's, I always kind of wanted after meeting those kids, I always wanted to be able to help kids in that kind of position. Well, so. oh, you
1: wouldn't be able to do that at Ballarat Base Hospital, would you? You'd have to uh, think about uh, leaving Ballarat, wouldn't you? Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, I came back to Melbourne, I um, did a half, half year at the Royal Children's Hospital and in adult psychiatry, trying to work out which of those, those paths go down.
1: Well, I'm sure <laughs> he decided adult <sighs> psychiatry wasn't
0: for you. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's. I, I think being a child psychiatrist, I've got lots of friends now who are child psychiatrists, and to do to be a child psychiatrist, you have to do adult psychiatry first. Mm. Though I kind of found a, another way in which was that you can do pediatrics and within community pediatrics study child psychiatry. Um, so, yeah, I loved loved working with kids. Loved working at the Children's Hospital. Found you know, adult psychiatry was um, hard work and really, um, yeah, was not for me at that point.
1: Mm. Mm. So, how long did uh, it take you to uh, specialize in child psychiatry?
0: Well, good question. Um, so, I finished uh, two years ago.
1: Two years ago, yeah. So, how many years did you kind of wander in and out? For?
0: Um, from I think I joined paediatric training in 2002 and mm. then I. Graduated in two thousand and fifteen. Fifteen.
1: Mm. Why the thirteen year hiatus?
0: I went through the. I think I took one year off early on to have my have a gap year and go right. travelling.
1: Travelling. Where'd you go?
0: Um, uh, a pretty standard trip to visit friends in the UK and no, then around right. Europe, US, and Japan. Oh, well, that's all so right. That was, a, that was. I mean, it was just entirely a kind of um, gap Rest. year. If, yep. Yeah. Um, in, see, see the world um and then I did my um my exams working half time so the specialist exams which are three years into to specialist training um most I, I think quite a few of my friends at that point going through training and colleagues we went half time so that we would have enough time to study and pass those exams the first time around they they're, they're pretty as you would know they're pretty arduous yeah. yeah you study for over a year for these uh two one hour written uh, sorry two three hour written exams um that don't have a very you know high success rate or there's certainly a significant well, failure well people rate. don't
1: understand that you at the same time you're studying you're actually responsible for people you're doing making clinical decisions which have mm. important ramifications yep. you've got all those things in your mind you know it, it's Absolutely. not
0: easy yeah so working in you know paediatric oncology, gastroenterology, kids with having liver transplants, et cetera, mm. that kind of mm. stuff. Mm. So doing that during the day and then going home and studying at night. I remember at one point um, driving home and seeing someone stopping – seeing someone looking in the window of a shop and thinking, imagine having time to stop and look in the window of a shop.
1: Mm. Mm. <laughs> no, no. And, uh, and were you involved in political activity during this period?
0: Um, my, I was vegan mm. and – that's you know, I was trying to be activity, an ethical – I was trying to be an ethical consumer. That's, right. that, that was all I was doing at that point.
1: Ethical – what's an ethical consumer?
0: I guess, you know, trying to buy fair trade. No, I don't know. I'm asking you. And, um, you know, trying to buy clothes that were locally made mm. and trying to be, be vegan. Um, yeah, so trying to minimise – Why? Why uh, bother? Um, fairness, justice. You know, hoping, hoping that the world would be better than it is at the mm-hmm. moment.
1: Mm-hmm. Are you still vegan?
0: Um, I was. Be- I've been vegan for about oh, 15, 15 years, oh, yeah. and then recently I've had some health issues, issues that I've been right. dealing with. So yeah. oh, at the moment, there's a bit of a temporary. Um, yeah, yeah, that's cap. understandable. Mm.
1: So. So thirteen years of hard work to become a child? Was it was
0: No, it worth- no, no, no. That's not. Uh, so I, sorry, I didn't get to the the, no, right. the bit where I um. So after after finishing my exams, exams yes, um, and thankfully you on the first time, this. yes, <laughs> um, I did a year of child and adolescent psychiatry, and then um, I joined Sea Shepherd.
1: Excuse me, could you repeat that again? You did your examination, passed mm-hmm. it, and then you joined Sea Shepherd. Why? That's right.
0: Um, really, to try and do something, to use my skills to help the animals um, as a what, vegan what and animal. What animals? Well, in this case, marine animals. Mm. Um, but but uh, you you've know, done as all this a...
1: study to help humans. What, yeah. Why would you veer and join the Sea Shepherd?
0: Um, I guess. Why well, did you think humans
1: weren't worth the effort?
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, it was really, you know, it, it was yeah, a complex decision, you know, the reasons why we make. Decisions are been well, it complex. Is complex decision. I mean, um, you've, got, you've
1: got your whole life ahead of yeah. you. I'm not being critical. I'm just trying yeah. to understand. You've got your whole life ahead of you. You spent all these years. Must mm. be at least ten years mm. getting to where you were. You've passed your exams, mm. and all of a sudden, you there's a whole, there's a different direction in your life. Or is this something that was always you always felt you were going to do?
0: Back when I. Sailed on that ship around Port Phillip Bay, and I was mm. making, I was actually on that ship when I was making a decision about what my preferences for university were. And I had been thinking I'd go and study science and do scientific mm. research. Mm. And then I thought, you know what, it would be really great to have a skill that's useful that I can do something like be on a ship and have a useful skill at some point later in my life. And that influenced, you know, that was something that influenced my decision having that skill. Mm. And I had also as a teenager, been inspired by activists and done some, you know, some little bits of activism that I, that I could do that were accessible around um, my school. And I think that was always, that was always there. Um, I had, at, at the time that I joined Sea Shepherd, my partner at the time and I had been thinking about doing some travelling and taking some time off to travel together, which we, mm-hmm. we'd only, we, had, we had never taken time off and travelled together before. He was vegan as well. And uh, one day we were riding up, after I'd finished my exams, we were riding our bikes, um, going on a long bike ride one day and we rode past the Sea Shepherd ship in... Um, Docklands? Docklands, yeah. Went on a tour and just yeah, thought it, sounds, it was fantastic.
1: Sounds like a Mormon's, doesn't
0: it? Uh, <laughs> 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 They're very good door. at converting you, <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah that's it. you were converted on the spot. You must <laughs> have been a good catch. Did they? Did they convert your partner?
0: He was an engineer, and so mm-hmm. they were pretty happy about the idea of having so they got a both of you. on board who yeah, were an engineer and a doctor. <laughs> yeah,
1: so when did all this happen? What year?
0: That was 2000. Well, 2007. We joined in 2008.
1: Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And what does that entail? What did that entail? What did you have to do?
0: We... Uh, to join or when once we joined?
1: Once you joined, obviously yeah. there was, there's, a, there's a program you've got to um, learn and follow.
0: Yeah, we flew to Bermuda and oh, we joined it's nice. the ship. Yeah. In <laughs> yeah. As you do, as you do yeah. when
1: you join Sea Shepherd, you fly to Bermuda.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be
1: a lot of applications tomorrow. You realise that?
0: <laughs> I hope so. Well, you know they're down on, in Antarctica at the moment, yeah. so there's always a need for a new crew. Um, we yeah we we joined in Bermuda. It was an old ship, the Farley Mowat. It was actually the year that um, a couple of Sea Shepherd crew members boarded a Japanese whaling vessel in Antarctica, and
1: were arrested. yeah,
0: and were arrested, and then we went and joined their other ship, the Fali Mowat, which was run by uh, that. At that stage, had been um, held together by two people for the last six months or so. What um, do you at mean the time. held together? Well, I mean a ship requires a lot of maintenance. You know, there's a lot mm. of, one of these no, old I don't know. metal I don't ships. No, um, yeah. That's what I'm asking. Mm, yeah, well, I mean it's a constant battle between the sea rusting the iron of the ship and um, trying to, you know, keep it up keep it keep it well maintained. Have
1: a drink, and I'll and I'll whistle Dixie. <laughs> that's all right. Now, Andy, I assume you've been fascinated by this discussion up till now. You haven't said a word. That uh, no, is incredible story. It is. I might have even been a patient at the base. Yeah, that's right. Because yeah, remember, you, you, you yeah. do you were crushed. You were crushed. You were crushed like as a child. There was an emergency there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was your injuries again, or multiple injuries? Uh, fracture of the L1 vertebrae and <laughs> the T5 oh. kind of all. Yeah. they just fused back together. Yeah, he got crushed under a tank, mm. the poor lad. Oh. Yeah. Didn't have a nice boss. <laughs> ah, he's all right. I've spoke to him recently. Did you? You've forgiven him, have you? He's all right. <laughs> oh. He was under there too, so. <laughs> well, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Tank.
0: I'm really glad that you got out of that
1: uh, Yeah, no, I'm fine, thank you <laughs> Stop being a doctor, he's alright He's <laughs> yeah, look, Now yeah, Mirren, so Okay, so What was your role on the ship?
0: So I was the ship's doctor and what they
1: wanted they needed a doctor. What with two people on board?
0: <laughs> well, the the two people had been looking <laughs> after the ship, and then um, the people kind of gradually came in because we were about to start a campaign, mm-hmm. and um, most of the experienced crew were in Antarctica with the ships down there. But just kind of gradually, they pulled together a crew, and a lot of a lot of new people. But there were probably four four veterans, and then um, and then Paul Watson and the Antarctic crew arrived about two days before we left. Mm-hmm. Having had no experience of going to 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 see um, with what? anyone at that point, apart from on an old sailing ship, um, I really excuse didn't me.
1: Excuse me. They flew down to Bermuda, uh uh-huh. Gave you all this gumph and didn't actually take you out.
0: No, no, no. We we went to sea. Um, right. Yeah, right. there were there was a crew of about part, part of your training was going 22. to sea, wasn't it?
1: Uh- <laughs> no. You just went to sea. We just went to sea. That's nice. We
0: left We left from Bermuda in the middle of a storm. Right. You know, As, you the As you would. Bermuda do. Triangle mm. in this old ship, which was – we were we were warned when we joined the ship that perhaps we didn't want to take anything that was too valuable because uh-huh. it, the ship was very old and um, mm. there was a chance that, that we would, the ship would be seized during the campaign, right. which it eventually was. Mm. So um, we went off on this campaign, which was around the ice flows of, of Canada um, against – Killing of baby harp seals mm-hmm. uh, that's still going. Twenty two people. Um, yes, it is. Mm. Yeah,
1: because I remember that was that was that was a campaign in the seventies.
0: Yeah, it was stopped for a while mm. and then it resumed. Um, but instead of killing the the, the white ones, exceptionally cute pu- pu- uh, pups, they were killing them a couple of weeks older when their um, coats were yeah, a different well, colour and they're not quite they're so enough. photogenic. Yeah,
1: we don't care if they're not cute. Mm-hmm. That's the way it goes. Yeah. So, what was your role on the ship? What did you actually do?
0: So. Yeah, I'm, I turned up expecting to be the doctor and ask where the medical cabinet was. We had a a room that was full of mainly expired antihistamines and some um, shampoo, and so...
1: Well, you actually hadn't checked. You were the doctor on the ship, and you hadn't checked whether you had any anything on the ship.
0: Well, I arrived and then found that that's what we had. and so, oh, so right. So yeah. we had kind of two weeks um, to get the ship ready mm-hmm. and on the after cleaning and organizing this on the the next day I went and talked to the the guy who was looking after the ship and said oh you know um, where do I get the medical supplies or how do we order the medical supplies and he <laughs> yeah. said
1: what medical supplies what medical
0: supplies <laughs> and I said well what's what's the budget and he mm-hmm. said we don't mm-hmm. we you know we don't have a budget Gosh. and and then pretty quickly I realized that I needed to Get the medical supplies, and you know, mm. everything was on my shoulders. It wasn't No one was going to help me That's to right. organise yep. things. So, yep. um, then I spent the next week or so um, trekking around Bermuda, going knocking on doors of doctors' surgeries and pharmacies and emergency department, the emergency departments of the hospital, etc., and um, just really cobbling together what it was that we needed mm. and putting together our medical supplies. It
1: is hard because I remember I think it was eighty six or eighty seven. I took Group, the first disabled group that had gone to China. This is fourteen square, and the first thing I did before I left Australia was to actually get all the medical supplies together mm. because you're on your own, aren't you?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You're on your own. So, any any disasters on the ship you had to deal with?
0: Um, nothing. nothing. I mean, health wise. Nah, Why mean- did, did you bother <laughs> wasting your time? Um, there was seasickness. There's always a lot of seasickness yep, on campaigns, yep. and particularly when you are going through the storms mm, in, uh, mm. in the Bermuda Triangle. It's pretty, um, yeah, got a lot of crew, new crew members being sick. But really there wasn't anything else. I don't think I actually did any other nobody got medical. crushed
1: by a tank or anything? Uh, no, no, thankfully. Nobody no. fell overboard and drowned? Uh,
0: I think Sea Shepherd's been really lucky. But mm. I, I think also, you know, the crew are careful. Um, And they're also pretty empowered. It's not like you have a boss, you're being paid, and someone says, go and do this dangerous thing, and you just, you know, go and do it. Mm. I think on, you know, the the, the, uh, ship staffed by volunteers, and people are really, you know, really quite careful.
1: Right. So how long did you work on the ship?
0: Well that that campaign came to an abrupt end when we were boarded by um, the Canadian Coast Guard and they mm. seized our ship. Mm. Um so that was that was probably about three weeks into campaign.
1: Did they jump in with guns or they just Yeah, yeah, full
0: we were boarded by two yeah. um rigid hold inflatable boats, mm. um, full armed SWAT teams, mm. automatic assault rifles, mm. obviously you're dangerous. Uh, any, yeah, any, that's right. Anybody, yeah. you know, looks
1: after little harp seals, you've got to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, you're all packed off to jail or you just left on the shore?
0: Um, six of us went to jail mm-hmm. um, for that, the that night. That includes
1: you, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah. Why? Because you're the ship's doctor.
0: We had a choice. Um, the We had a choice to sign the immigration cards to go into Canada mm-hmm. or to, as an act of civil disobedience, refuse to do that. Mm-hmm. Um and a number of us decided that rather than just signing the paperwork, the Canadian, Canadians were very polite and very kind and offered everyone, you know, $70 in a hotel room for the night.
1: Mm, they weren't like the Russians.
0: It wasn't wasn't quite the Greenpeace experience. <laughs> no. 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 Um, but um, we chose not to do that. And as a result, we were put in immigration detention because we hadn't signed our mm. immigration cards. Um
1: so you're an illegal immigrant too, as well as, uh-huh. well as been a sea shepherd doctor. Mm. You've got a lot to be answer for, young woman. <laughs> but yeah.
0: that was really a, that was really quite um, a formative time for me because uh, through that simple act of civil disobedience and have then spending the night in jail, um, our story got a lot more media attention than it That's would true. have otherwise. Mm. And you know, even though in some ways it was. An elaborate piece of theatre. Um, we weren't in we weren't in danger at any point. It really did um, mean that this message about the killing of harp seals got out much more broad, widely across the world mm. than it would have otherwise, um, because it became a, you know, it became a, um, oh, sorry, I'm sorry, losing the words, but um, you know, it became an issue for multiple governments with their um, citizens
1: mm. in
0: jail and Canada.
1: So did you have to pay your own way back to Australia?
0: Uh yes yes Yes. yeah. (laughs) This is terrible. (laughs) You are you you do the right
1: thing. You volunteer. Mm. You're trying to assist the world. You get arrested you jailed overnight. You're an illegal alien, you know, mm. and then you've got to pay your way back. Well, I, uh,
0: that was – we came back via some travelling. The Canadians didn't actually pack us out of their country. They just – once we signed the paperwork a few days, the, you know, the next mm. day we were mm. allowed out and we continued on our on our travels. So. And
1: what happened to the ship?
0: The ship um, – the ship was detained for the next six, seven years and I think it was finally sunk last year. Right. Um, <laughs> Uh, it was it was sold in the interim to a couple of different organisations who wanted to use it for um, environmental work, but mm. it was just in too poor condition mm. and it was eventually sold.
1: So you came back to Melbourne.
0: Um, did some travelling, came back to Melbourne. Right. Um, can I digress back to you that can day do you in, like. um, in the that jail. night in, yep. in jail? Yeah. Um, it was a, quite a profound experience because we were all locked in individual cells, and they took away our you know our jumpers and it was very cold Mm. um and you know in that time overnight we we weren't eating there'd been a group decision that people wanted to be on hunger strike um and you know we didn't know at that stage when we would get out um we didn't know the the paperwork kind of said 48 working hours we'd be able Mm. to go in front of a tribunal which you know, I was sitting there in the, in the cold in the middle of the night thinking 48 working hours, is that uh, like eight hours a day? You know, divide, is that, does that mean seven days? <laughs> um, <laughs> which, of course, it didn't. Um, but, you know, and then I thought about all the people around the world who are imprisoned for, um, for protest and don't have any choice. That's right.
1: That's right. Um, Hopefully, you're wearing elast- elasticized pants.
0: Elasticized pants?
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, I don't know no the connection. No.
1: Belts. <laughs> That's the first thing that's taken off oh, you when you going right. to prison. Okay. So, uh-huh. I, I say to all activists: if you're going to, you think you're going to get arrested, always have a wear elasticized pants.
0: Uh, <laughs> At
1: least you can keep your dignity.
0: Well, they took they took our jumpers. They took our jumpers because mm. they said we might hang ourselves with mm. them.
1: They mm. mm. would have taken the men's belts, or if you had a belt, mm-hmm. they would have taken your belt. Yeah. All right. So you came back. Uh, what did you do next?
0: Um, so then I. I went back to work half-time. Actually, no, then I went to Antarctica with Sea Shepherd. On a,
1: Excuse me, you went to Antarctica.
0: On um, Yeah, on the next anti-whaling campaign.
1: Mm-hmm. What year was that?
0: That was 2008-9 over mm-hmm. summer.
1: Well, that was mm-hmm. a pretty intense campaign that year.
0: It was, yeah. Mm. Um, Did anybody get somebody's? sick this time? Uh, I think I sewed up someone's eyebrow. <laughs> yeah.
1: This is major surgery. Uh, <laughs> well, I, obviously they, they knew you were a child psychiatrist, so they didn't, they didn't <laughs> injure themselves.
0: That's right. I th- it works out It works out well that way sometimes. Yeah, yeah it
1: does. Yeah, mm. yeah everything. And um, when did you um, leave Sea Shepherd?
0: Um, so I've kind of uh, – I've continued to do campaigns with them from time to time, but mm. um, at the end of that campaign I went back um, to my paediatric work and paediatric training, but this time I went back half-time because – I really wanted to work on climate campaigning. And um
1: What's climate campaigning? What does that entail?
0: Uh so campaigning on climate change and at the time I really didn't know when I when I started out I was a pretty new activist, really. Um I'd done the do Sea Shepherd work. But, new um, activist.
1: You've been in the Sea Shepherd, you've you know, you've been an activist, you've been in jail. What do you mean? belittling yourself.
0: Yeah, I don't think. I mean, I didn't really at that point understand campaign strategy. I didn't know you who else was the working drudgery, on the drudgery uh-huh. of
1: campaign work because you had it, yeah. you were doing exciting things in the sea shepherd, mm-hmm. and Most campaigning is rep- repetition.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And so I came back and was looking around for a group that was doing the kind of climate campaigning that. I wanted to do, that people could get involved in in a mm. grassroots level, really, someone without experience as a professional campaigner. Um, and at that time, it, it was the, the big NGOs, big environmental NGOs, weren't really doing um, anything that was very accessible for people to get involved in. Yeah, they
1: were collecting money on the street.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but there was a really um, vibrant and growing grassroots roots climate movement at that stage, and so I joined with um, Climate Action Moreland. Uh, which was just getting started, a wonderful woman called Alan Roberts, who now works for GetUp and has done some really fantastic things in the meantime. Um, I joined that group and also really just jumped in and and tried to get involved in everything that I could in Mm. relation to climate campaigning. So um, everything from joining a group, Doctors for the Environment Australia, which is doctors who campaign on climate change, um, through to getting involved in direct actions and that year was the year that we did the big switch off hazelwood protest Mm -hmm. so the first of the switch off hazelwood actions Mm. and so um with a with a fantastic group of people there i jumped on that the organizing committee for that and um yeah it was a really that was a really interesting and uh inspiring year getting to know
1: Mm. so what's happened to your medical practice
0: i i continue to work half time in medicine and go slowly through my training um you know, doing really fantastic work that I just loved with them um, in in mainly in child and adolescent mental health, but also in child protection, and then um, pretty much put full time outside that into climate campaigning. Hmm.
1: Do you think there is a increase in pathology amongst young people, or do you think we just didn't worry about it in the past?
0: Yeah, I, I think that we're recognising. Recognizing more and more the um, difficulties that young people face. You
1: don't think there is an increase? Um,
0: I don't think so. No. No. So
1: you yeah. think it's always been there?
0: I think it's been there. I think we're doing better at recognizing it, and we're doing mm. and, and we are working out slowly how to help young people. Which mm. Mm.
1: you which think which you can make relief. a difference individually? Absolutely. It, that was absolutely. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: It makes a difference speaking to somebody who knows what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So you don't have to change the world to change an individual's life.
0: That's right. That's right. I mean, I think I think changing the world, we will change individual people's lives as well for the mm. better. But mm. um, I think that um, we absolutely can help. We can help people.
1: Mm. So what are your plans for the future?
0: Um, I want to keep working in there so at the moment I've got this um kind of strange practice as as pediatricians do I've got a few different jobs I work in child protection work which which I really love I work um with you know CoHealth which is a community health organization um in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health In the team there which I'm very very grateful to be able to be part of their fantastic ATSI team um, and I also work with kids who are entering foster care and um, doing, do assessments in multidisciplinary mm. assessments for kids who enter foster care. It, it might um, be surprising to people to know that, that up until recently, children who enter foster care haven't necessarily had a comprehensive um, assessment uh, by a paediatrician mm. and other allied health workers. And, and now we're, we're really starting to do that in Victoria, which is a very important mm. step. Um, so that kind of work is really uh, rewarding, so I, I hope to keep doing more of that working as a community pediatrician um, and then also being able to do some of my mm. activist work in climate and mm, mm.
1: We always ask our guest one last question have you got have you got any advice for our listeners?
0: Mm. Mm. um one of the one of my favourite studies that I have read about Health and about activism is um, the five ways to well-being study that looked at things that could could help people to have happier, healthier lives, and they identified five factors, um, which were to keep learning, uh, to stay active, to uh, stay connected to other people, um, and I'm going to forget one of them. I, this always happens, but anyway. <laughs> Another it's one five. is, <laughs> the fourth one is to, to give. Yes. Um, and I think that being an activist really, mm. if you if you look at what being an activist does, it really allows you to fulfill all of those four that I remember of the five, but I'm sure all of the, those five um, mm. criteria. So I think being an activist is a great way to have a happier, healthier life. Mm.
1: Well, Merrin Redenbach, it's been a pleasure and it's been inspiring speaking to you, and hopefully you live another 60 years. <laughs> I'd love you to be a hundred. A, you know, centenary activist. I mean, it, your life is inspiring. It just proves to us that different. You come from activists come from different directions, and radical activists do make a difference. And I congratulate you on your life. I think it's been a worthwhile life, and I think you've got many more decades on this earth to make a difference, both individually and to the community as a whole. So, congratulations, and it's been a pleasure talking to you.
0: Thanks Thank so you. much, Joe. It's been Thank
1: wonderful. you, Andy. No worries. Yeah, thanks. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded